My name is Will. I'm one of the elders here at the City Church, and I'm really glad to be with you this morning. I, I, I uh, oh, Bo was clapping. I thought he was clapping. He was just trying to keep himself awake. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna move through this message this morning. But uh, but for the for the last four weeks, okay. So usually, a, you know, a vision series would last throughout the course of a month. Okay, we, we're like this is a fifth fifth week, and uh, for these four weeks, we've been talking about. Um, how we're going to follow Jesus together for the next five years. So that's, that's what we've been talking about. And uh, we believe that in our midst, God can, and we're praying that he will spark a revival of joyful worship that advances God's kingdom in every generation. And so that's amongst uh, young, old, middle-aged, college students, singles, married, divorced, lost, hurting, lonely, addicts to substances, addicts to success, Fearful, arrogant, depressed, powerful, powerless, and everywhere in between. That's where we want to see God's kingdom advanced. In the hearts of all those different people. Are you with me on that? Do you want to see that? I want to see that in five years. If we could say, wow, look at what God did in these last five years. We saw God's kingdom advance in all of those kinds of people. But th so this is the end of the series, but like Chris said, it's not, it's not the end of the vision, right? So it, it's not just like, okay, we're done with this vision series, so let's kind of just wrap it up and we'll kind of make our way back to whatever it is we were doing and however we, it was that we were doing that. End of the series, but not end of the vision. So uh, it's the beginning of pursuing this together. Everything we're going to do as a church, so all the resources that we have or all the, the, the people that we have or the strategies that we have, we're, we're, we're kind of bending those or uh, pointing those towards uh, uh, doing this together as a family. We want to move in that direction. That's what a vision is. It's a preferred future, what we envision together, okay? A dream. And, uh, and so I'll tell you, just so you know, that, like kind of pull back the curtain, there, there's like a 90-day kind of uh, track that we're running on. Our elder team is saying, hey, for the 90 days and 90 days and 90 days after that, all the way towards five years. So we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to keep charting that out over, over 90 days. We want to see our Sunday gatherings um, uh, grow in their excellence. We want to see the discipleship group framework uh, laid out over the course of the next 90 days so we can launch those in January. Uh, we want to see our visitor and member pipeline really clarified and, and made exemplary. And then um, we want to recruit another full-time pastor into our mix so we can care for and shepherd well our people. Um, and then uh, this is just a bonus fifth. We actually call it the bonus fifth item, which is praying for our gathering space, that either God would help us make this place more hospitable uh, or that he would direct us towards a more hospitable space. Okay, so those are, just so you know, that's like, that's on there. So these things matter, but if at any point we see that Jesus is here and he's not here, we're gonna, we're gonna change our course to wherever he is. Okay, we're trying to aim towards Jesus with all of our vision. And so this is not something we're doing in addition to following Jesus. And this is important, okay, to understand today that this vision that we've been casting and this thing we're chasing as a church is not in addition to following Jesus. This is how we're following Jesus together. It's what we're following Jesus into, okay, as a church. And so if, if the Christian life is a race that we are running together, this is how we are describing this leg of the race. All right, does that make sense? And so last week we described how it is that we're going to run the race, uh, which is pursuing, um, pursuing this vision not simply as a group of individuals who are uh, living out their own stories in their own way, or even as a group of groups that's doing that. We're going to do that as a unified community making disciples. That's what we said last week, okay? So if you missed that, there it is in one minute. All right, so rather than stopping there and just getting to the work of pursuing that vision, uh, there's one more piece in this discussion that, that uh, I felt like is critical for us to actually see it become a reality in our midst. There's one more, one more piece of this conversation. Um, for it to not just be a thing that we talk about, 
but it's not real. Something we talk about, but not, it's not real in our lives, okay? Um, and so in the Christian life and in pursuing this vision, uh, we will need courage, okay? So that's what we're talking about today. We will need courage if we're going to live out this Christian life and, and then uh, within that live out this vision together. We're going to need courage. Courage comes from the word that means, uh, uh, it comes from the word heart, okay? Core uh, is, is the old word for, for heart, and so it, it means strong heart is what courage is, it means. Strength, this is Web, you know, Webster, strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. You track with me on that? So it's strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Um, and, and the thing about courage is it's actually a really rare commodity. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not commonplace. Uh, you can tell this because uh, the military, it measures courage with medals. Okay, so they have a really tangible way of uh, kind of recognizing courage. And uh, they track moments in which courage is displayed, and then they reward that with a medal. The Medal of Honor, um, which, which has around 3,500 recipients ever. That's, that's the most it's ever. Uh, that's all the people who've ever received a Medal of Honor. And it's the highest medal awarded in this category of valor is what they call it. So a little, there's actually, I spent a while lear learning about the Medal of Honor. <clears throat> there's a few different ones depending on which branch of the military you're in. But two of them actually have the word valor written on the medal itself. And the definition of valor, great courage. It's just simply great courage. So great courage is a rare commodity. <clears throat> but it, for us, it's not just a rarity, it's a necessity, okay? Uh, it's a necessity because in pursuing joyful worship that advances God's kingdom, we as a church and you as a person, I'm just telling us this now and reminding you of this now, uh, that you as a person will face adversity that creates danger, fear, and difficulty. If, if we're going to actually not just talk about it and put it on a shirt and then forget about it, you know, or put it on our website and forget about it, uh, there, there will be adversity. Um, courage is a necessity because when you enter into the Christian life, when you enter into it, that doesn't end adversity in the world. It actually creates adversity with the world. Do you know that? Until the moment that you actually put your trust in Christ, you're just on the same team. You might have problems and so on and so forth, but whenever you actually put yourself by faith in Christ, then you actually have put on the colors, so to speak, of the, uh, the opponent's team, okay? The colors of the king. And so we need courage. We need courage, and I wanna look, what I wanna look at today specifically is what kind of courage do we need? What kind of courage do we need? Uh, and where do we find it? Okay, those are, those are kind of two important things. If we're gonna have courage, if we need it, okay, what, what kind and where do we find it? And we're gonna, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Okay, that's where we're gonna be. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. It'll be on the screen, if not. Or we have a, a whole basket of Bibles back there if you wanna take one. Uh, if you know somebody who doesn't have one, take two and give it to that person. Read Hebrews 12 together. Um, but while you're turning there, I'll tell you, the, the whole letter of Hebrews is written to reinforce the truth that Jesus' supremacy, uh, reinforce the truth of Jesus' supremacy over all things, okay? That he systematically goes after saying how Jesus is supreme over everything, and, uh, and then he goes on to say that that means that there's a reliability of his gospel message, okay, that calls us to place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, so that's what the whole, whole letter's about. And when we come into chapter 12, we're coming out of he, chapter 11, which is the, uh, the hall of faith, so to speak, where the author was creating this mosaic. He kind of created a mosaic of what faith looked like by describing the lives of people who had lived by faith. 
Okay, that's what he, that's what he did. And so um, these people clung to the, this is the definition of faith in Hebrews 11. They clung to the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. They were looking forward to Jesus. We're looking backward to Jesus. So all these people in Hebrews 11, they were just looking forward to a hope in Jesus. And so in light of the testimony borne by these faithful ones, okay, the author's wanting us to run the race of discipleship, discipleship in such a way that we will finish the race. Um, and he doesn't want us to become faint-hearted along the way. He doesn't want us to lose heart. So he wants us to have courage to endure. So remember, what kind of courage, where do we find it? That's the setup for Hebrews 12. So let's read it together. Put your eyes on it and um, track along with me. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's God's word. All right, so the first thing that we want to see is what kind of courage do we need? What kind of courage do we need? <clears throat> so start, start back in verse 1. So this, this, those verses 1 through 3. And so start back in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now, these witnesses that he's talking about, these are the people from chapter 11, okay? Who through faith, this is what it says about them, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. It's pretty, pretty epic things that they were doing. But we're also told that others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So, that's, that's who this cloud of witnesses is. It's these people who were living these lives by faith. And so the first thing we need to see if we're going to understand what kind of courage we need is understand we need courage because we will face adversity. You see, these people were living out this Christian life, and yes, they had victories, but all the more, look at the things they walked through. Uh, one day, we won't need courage. One day, you won't need a strong heart uh, because the air of heaven, it won't contain the poison of sin. Do you know that? There will be no need for courage when we're walking next to King Jesus, when we're surrounding his throne. Our hearts will never grow weak. Robert Frost said this. We quoted him a while back, so we're just getting a lot of Robert Frost in. He said, the saddest thing in life is that the best thing in life is courage. He said, the saddest thing in life is that the best thing in life is courage. But one day it won't be so. You know that? One day it won't be so. Um, and so... Uh, we can see that we will face adversity. Uh, you can just track through the New Testament and you can see uh, there's no sense in which we're gonna follow Jesus in a, a life free of adversity. You can just count on that. Jesus says, count on this. You're gonna find trouble in this life. But, but take heart because I've overcome the world is what he says. So we're gonna have trouble 
And so uh, there's something about this cloud of witnesses we need to, we need to see. It says, uh, so, so we can see that we're not surrounded by this cloud to be seen by them. Now this is, I think, if you're just reading the text, you might actually miss this. You might be like, oh, we're surrounded by this great so cloud of witnesses. So Moses is up there and he's like got popcorn and he's watching me kind of do my thing down here. Or maybe King David or Solomon or you know, whoever is in this hall of faith. Um, and, uh, and so they're, they're up there watching us, but that's, that's actually not what, what is meant by this text. It's not that, that we are seen by them, but they're for us to see. This cloud of witnesses for us to lay our eyes on, this cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by who, has, who have borne witness, they have testified about what it is that they were waiting for. They were all declaring a singular assurance of hope a singular assurance of hope. That's what they declared with their lives. They bet their whole lives on it. At another point in Hebrews 11, it says some of them refused to be released because they were like, no, man, don't even, don't even let me go. I'm just waiting on heaven. I'm waiting for this hope of God in Christ. Isn't that interesting? So uh, there, I, was, I was working out the other day. Uh, I work out at the TCU Rec Center. And uh, it was the summertime, and so it was actually felt like my rec center because all the students were not there. And uh, so I was like, I was actually the average age in that place, maybe even young. It was kind of cool. And, uh, but then, except for this one day, I was on like a, uh, I think a stationary bike, and I was trying to read a book at the same time. And behind me, there was like 300 high school uh, cheerleaders. And, uh, and they were doing a cheer camp. And I was like... I'm gonna read this book. I gotta read this book and work out. That's what my time looks like, so let's do it. And, uh, and they were doing like a cheer off. And uh, so they were yelling as loud as they could at each other while I was trying to read a book. And the strangest thing happened. I could read the book just fine. And it's not because I'm like super focused. It's because they were saying different things. It was really interesting. It created actually like a white noise effect while I was trying to read, it was actually just like because they were screaming at each other, saying different things. But if they had been saying the same thing, I would not have been able to ignore it, right? If they were saying, go Tigers, go, whatever they were saying, you know, um, I, that would have been burned in my memory. But instead, all I heard was white noise because they were saying different things. And it's not so with this chapter 11. They were saying the same thing. They were saying we have hope alone in Christ. Hope alone in Christ. Hope alone in Christ. So here now, from this great cloud of witnesses that we have assurance, we have hope because of Christ alone. And so they're going to encourage and, inf and inform the way that we run the race. So, so again, we're looking at what kind of courage do we need? Uh, what type of adversity should we be prepared for? So the first thing he says is, let us also, uh, along with this cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You see that? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And so the first thing that you're gonna see is that we need courage to be confined. All right, now track with me. You're gonna need courage to be confined. Uh, he says, lay aside every weight. The athletes that he was talking about in that day, they, they would literally, uh, this, is gonna, this is strange, they would take off all of their clothes to race. Do you know this? Like the ancient Greeks, when they would race, they were, we call that streaking. Okay, so I, they called it racing. I, it's the strangest thing. Uh, they, they called it racing. And uh, so now you get a ticket for that. Um, and so uh, my, it's not just like that they, they would lay aside everything that was where they would actually, you, you know this about athletes, they'll cut, they'll cut weight. They'll, they'll try to get down. They'll try to carry as little with them as possible, right? My dog was at my, uh, my parents' house for like three months. 
uh, living his best life there. And he came back, and I don't even recognize him. like 20 pounds lighter, right? Uh, and I'm like, what was I doing to him? Or what were they doing to him? What was I doing to him? He looks like an actual hound dog instead of a, uh, just a really chubby dachshund, okay? And so uh, he, uh, he can run a lot faster, I can tell you that, because he's carrying a lot less. And so uh, it's, it's, you want to you carry as little with you as possible. The 2020 Olympics are coming up. They're, they're wearing clothes, okay, thankfully, the 2020 Olympics. And, uh, but they're only wearing what's necessary. Do you know that? It's not like they're... Have, have you ever seen somebody running a sprint with a backpack on? Right? Yeah, it's like, it would be like, I mean, maybe Usain Bolt should do it to make it fair. Like, that's the only thing I could think. Like, maybe we should start putting stuff on him. Like, maybe he should carry a backpack or something. Um, but, but my question then is, if you're going to lay aside every weight, what, is this, what does this mean for you? And, uh, man, what I kept thinking is, uh, this is, this means you cannot be everything everybody wants you to be. There is in this, in this, like, just in the air of the life that we're living, all this kind of pseudo-connectedness where we're able to track one another's lives, and we're able to see, oh, so-and-so's got this, or so-and-so's doing that, so-and-so um, is going there, so-and-so's a part of this, and uh, here's the reality. You need courage to be confined, courage to not be everything everybody's asking you to be. Just take a, to even a, a catalog of your own mind. Who it, what is it that you feel this pressure, even shame or guilt about in your life because you're not something that somebody else, you think somebody else thinks you should be? Lay aside these weights because we're running a very particular race. You see, following Jesus means leaving certain things behind. And the race you're running will deter- determine what equipment that you carry with you. Uh, a picture of this shows up in Mark chapter 10. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Uh, Mark chapter 10, Jesus is about to set off on a journey um, back to Jerusalem, back to the cross. And um, in that chapter, a, a man runs up to him and kneels down before him and says, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Which in and of itself is pretty contradictory. How do you inherit something? You are somebody who inherits that thing. You can't do something to inherit something, right? Um, and so Jesus says, um, they have a really interesting exchange. I wish we could talk about the whole thing. But the bottom line is, is the guy's like, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. And he says, yeah, I've done everything. I've done it all. For the record, this is why religious activity and performance will never leave you with the secure assurance of who you are. He did it all, and he still was looking for something. There's something wrong with me still. How do I fix this, Jesus? And so Jesus says, I got one thing for you to do. Then he tells him to do five things. Go sell, uh, go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, then come follow me, right? So he says you're missing one thing, but you need to go do five things. And all those five things, you see what they did? These, there was these weights that this guy was carrying with him. And Jesus says, if you're gonna run this race with me, you can't carry that stuff. It won't fit. And so the sad thing about that story is actually the, the, the guy looked at Jesus and uh, he heard what Jesus had to say about selling all his stuff and coming and follow Jesus. He got an invitation from the King of Kings to walk the most famous path in history. And he skipped it. Why? He said he had great possessions. He, was, he, he says he walks away disheartened. He lost courage because he, he didn't have the courage to let things go, 
to be confined in his life. You are a limited person with limited time and limited resources. This is like, there's, I know there's junior high kids and high school kids and younger kids in here. People are gonna want you to be a lot of different things and Jesus says you get to be one thing first, a follower of me. And it's gonna cost you. So the courage to be confined. The second thing it means is you have courage, you need courage, the second type of courage that we need is courage to confess. So he says, lay aside every weight, and then he says, and the sin which clings so closely. So the picture here is a runner that's getting tripped up. So he's like wearing like a cloak or something, again, uh, ancient context. And so, but, but he's getting tripped up. He's getting tangled up in something by this sin that's, that's, inten- that's clinging to him so closely. And so here's the deal for you. Just, just uh, man, I'm, I'm praying that the Spirit would use this in your life. There are parts of your heart that are harboring loyalty to the enemy. If you're a Christian, so you're in Christ, there are parts of your heart that are harboring loyalty, not to God, but to your flesh. A kingdom, not of God's, but of your own making. There are parts of your heart. I don't even have to know you. You're being, you're in a process called sanctification where that's being worked out of you. And so that means that there are parts of your heart that are not loyal to Jesus. They're sabotaging your joyful worship. That's, that is the truth. There are parts of your heart that are just out to straight sabotage your joyful worship, okay? And so what Jesus says, or the author here of Hebrews, God speaking through him says that we should lay them aside. Okay, great. Lay them aside. Sounds good. Let's move on. You guys, you guys got that? You're just going to lay those things aside and we can move, move on, right? No, it's not that easy. Like, you know it's not that easy to just lay aside a sin. It doesn't work that way. And so what I'm saying is we need courage to confess, courage to drag these parts of ourselves that are really ugly. They're really embarrassing, and they should have been gone by now, but they're not. Drag them into the light. That takes a ton of courage. It takes a ton of courage to walk out into the light and say, here's who I am right now. I know that God has said that I'm somebody else, and so I'm believing that, and so I'm gonna expose these parts of my soul that are wicked or embarrassing, that, that man, I'm trying to clean up, and I just can't seem to get them right. That takes a lot of courage. And so I have a confession. Um, my confession is I don't, I don't wear my retainers. Okay, do you guys have retainers? I don't wear mine. I really wish I did. Uh, my teeth, I had Invisalign, and then after you get Invisalign, they're like, trick, you still have to wear retainers the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh man, this is hard because I, I take them out in my sleep. I literally am like self-defeating. I take them out in my sleep, okay? And I put them strange place. Sometimes I wake up, I'm like, you know, like pull them out. And I'm like, oh man, why were they back on my back? Um, <clears throat> here's the weird thing though. I take them with me everything I, every, everywhere I go. If I'm going on a trip, I'll have like, I'll forget my phone charger, I'll remember my retainers. So it's so strange. I have this like kind of sense that like maybe I'll need them, so I want to bring, it's like because they'll move, my teeth move back, and so they're hurting when they move back, and so I want to put them in then. It's just kind of a convenience thing. And um, I think this is how we treat the truth of the gospel. You're like, like your retainers? Yes. We know what it says. We carry it with us all the time, but we aren't letting it come to bear on us in a way that will change us. You're not actually putting them in ever. You're not actually taking that gospel truth and saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do that. 
or okay, this is not, this is different in my life than it ought to be, so I'm gonna try to bring this into alignment here. It's not a workspace thing. That's a making war thing on the parts of your heart that are sabotaging joyful worship. So when we're talking about discipleship groups in the future, we're gonna talk about these four S's. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible to, to know what you're supposed to do actually in that space, okay? So you're supposed to show up, okay? You're supposed to share honestly, speak truth, and support well. Four S's, okay? We'll talk about them like a million times. But the part of this that you gotta hear is you gotta share honestly. You gotta be real about who you actually are. And that takes courage. Do you see that? If you think it doesn't take courage, I just ask you how well you're doing at it right now. It takes courage. So here's the deal. Having laid aside these things, remember he kind of gives this image. Okay, so let's lay aside everything that's not, you can't bring with you on this journey with Jesus and then this sin that's gonna trip you up and kind of just make you face plant in this Christian life, okay? So you lay those aside and then he says, um, uh, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, okay? And so the last thing is we need courage to continue. Courage to confine, courage to confess, and courage to continue, to press on to the finish. Here's the deal. If you're in Christ, okay, that, that concept of being in Christ is something we're going to flesh out through the, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. For the next six weeks after this one, we're going to walk through the first three chapters of Ephesians that, that serve sort of as a foundation of Christian worship, okay? So that's where we're going to go from here, but if you're in Christ, okay, uh, there's a course set before you uh, that, you're, that you're running, a race for you to run as a Christian, okay? And, and the step-to-step step, step step will require faith in Jesus in a, maybe a distinct way, depending on the circumstances of that season, okay? And, and here's the deal. You, you only have the opportunity to exercise faith uh, for those circumstances while they're still true. What, what does that mean? Uh, whenever whenever uh, my wife and I find out, found out my daughter has a, had a, the, the one that's going to be born in December, that she has a cyst on her brain, we only had the month from when we found that out to the month that we found out it was gone, to trust God with that. What, what faith do I need to, about this cyst that's go, no longer there? I don't need any faith for that. So enduring in, in our faith, running this race with endurance, is exercising faith in different circumstances as they arise throughout the course of your life, okay? And they only, you only get to exercise them while, while the circumstances last. And so it's going to take courage as those circumstances shift and things are going on in your life and the, the Father's un, unfolding your story as a part of his over the course of your lifetime. It's going to take courage to endure every circumstances, every, every situation that arises. Okay, it's going to take courage for you. Okay, and I, I thought about this. I also know there, there's some of you who really, you don't need courage to endure or to continue. You just need courage to begin. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's not anybody in this room who's not a follower of Jesus. I hope that changes. I, I really do. I'm going to pre keep preaching to that person until they show up, okay? But if you're not actively following Jesus, I'm praying that God in his kindness will call you to begin that life today. So you need courage just to start. There's a poem, and it goes, the way is narrow, the way is steep. You can look if you'd like, but you'll have to leap. That's the way it is with the Christian life. And so some of you, maybe it's not beginning, maybe it's beginning again. Some, some of you really, I know there's people in our body or maybe just around our body, man, you've just wandered off the course. You would say, I've, I looked up and I can't even see Jesus anywhere. I can't see him. I've looked 360. I don't know where he went. 
Some of you are in that place right now, and so the revival of joyful worship that God is calling you to is to coming back onto this course of the Christian life, beginning again. That will take courage. It will take a, so much courage, and I want you to know that when you make that decision, when you do that, the God of all creation, he's going to walk with you into that, okay? And your church who's around you, we will say yes and amen to that. Come back into this conversation. You are welcome here. It is okay to be honest about where you are, all right? So maybe you got distracted, maybe you got weighed down, but I'm telling you, drop whatever you're carrying that's keeping you from this Christian life and come back to it today. Okay, that takes courage. But the, now, now I want to tell you, where do we find this courage? Where is this courage to be found? So are we to look to the great cloud of witnesses that he talked about in, in verse 1? And, and, and really these witnesses in, verse, in chapter 11, 39, and 40, okay? So at the end of chapter 11, what he just said uh, is that all these people, they didn't actually receive the promise yet. They were just living by faith. And we have something that they did not. We have the name of Jesus, what they were waiting to get. Don't look at them. So here's the deal. You don't look at the witnesses, you look at what they were looking at. Do you get that? Don't look at the witnesses from chapter 11. Look at what they were looking at, and they were looking to Jesus, okay? So chapter 12, verse 2 it says how we run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Okay, so where do we find courage? We find it in Jesus. Okay, now, now you're like, okay, I get this. This is like church, and that's like the most basic answer, but come, come with me on this, okay? Because whatever captures your imagination will fuel your courage. And just try me on this. Whatever, whatever is captivating your imagination in this life, whatever you're daydreaming about, whatever has your attention and your imagination, that is what is fueling whatever courage you have in your life, okay? And, uh, and so how did, like, yeah, so what this author is saying is that if it isn't Jesus, your courage will run dry eventually, okay? So uh, how does it look? How does looking to Jesus give us courage? So it's, look at the way that we're looking at him, okay? We're not just looking to, to our version of Jesus. Not looking to our version of Jesus, this Jesus who, for you, is just kind of like a, I'm gonna show up on Sunday, ask him for things when I'm, when I'm anxious or whatever, and ho hopefully it works out. My genie Jesus, my cabana boy Jesus, my Santa Claus Jesus, Okay, there's a painting in, the in a church in my hometown on this like main drive, and it's a, pic it's a painting of Jesus, or like this very, very Caucasian man with great hair. It's what it is a picture of, okay? So I would drive down, and it was lit up, so you'd see it at night, and, and always just sitting there was this painting of, uh, of Jesus, which that doesn't look anything like what a Middle Eastern man would look like. So, uh, unless he was the most pale Middle Eastern man ever. <laughs> I don't know if he had great hair. Um, but what we're supposed to, the way we're supposed to look at Jesus as our, is as our founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what he says. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, these two words, you might think, okay, I got it. We're going to look at him as the founder and perfecter. These two words are actually really, really tricky to translate. So, if you have different translation uh, other than the ESV, it's probably different than those two words. Okay, it's a, there's a lot of different words that people use to try to capture this idea. And, and so the reason why is because they're really rare words. They don't show up a lot, okay? Uh, Tim Keller, I think he does a, a really helpful job of explaining that, that the, the words probably is best translated as champion. So the first one is probably best, best translated as champion, author, okay? And so cause the reason why is the actual Greek word there is archegos, which is, uh, you would get the word arch ego, 
So your highest self, your arch enemy is your highest enemy. Your arch ego would be your highest self. And so that's why, that's why he's saying, this is actually a, the idea of a champion. And what a champion does is two things, okay? A champion stands in to receive the attack of, a, of, of an enemy against you. So maybe you were captured by some great, crazy creature, okay? What a champion like a Hercules would come in and do is he would stand in for whatever poison darts are being shot at you, okay? You get that? So a champion would stand in to receive whatever blows an enemy is, is uh, uh, giving to you, but then he also stands in and fights back against that enemy. So those are two functions of a champion. It's why Jesus, th- this word's probably best translated champion. Do you see how Jesus has done both of those things for you? Do you see how he has stood in against how God's wrath, which was gonna be poured out on you, what he did on the cross is he stood in on your behalf. The wrath of God Almighty poured out against our rebellion against him. Jesus stood in and received those. He received those blows. By his wounds, we are healed. Do you see that? He's the, he's the author, the champion of our faith. And then the second way, do you see how he didn't just stand in and receive these blows, he fought back against death and he conquered it. He came out of a tomb. In case you forgot this, this is the crazy thing that we all are saying we believe, that there was a man around 30 AD, 33 AD, he, went on a, he, got, he died on a cross, he went into a tomb, and then he came back to life, and he never went back in a tomb. That's what we're saying we believe. I believe it. He's, he's our champion. And so he's not just an example of faith for us. He's our champion who has perfected our faith is what it says. He's perfected our faith. Jesus is unlike any other founder of a religion. Think about this. Think about any other world religion. You can insert Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, you can insert anything into this and there is no founder like Jesus because they can give you the description of the faith but they can't perfect it in you. They can't do it on your behalf. None of them can. And so Jesus is the one who for the joy, it says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That means he disregarded the shame that was being heaped upon him and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, okay? So we gotta look to Jesus and find in him all that you need to believe. Listen to me on this. All that you need in order to believe that you have been perfectly and eternally accepted by God and therefore all you need in order to endure the temporary suffering and adversity that we will find in this life. You look to Jesus for that. Jesus has said that I will never leave you or forsake you in the midst of that. And so we need courage to be confined, courage to confess, and courage to continue. And we find it in Jesus. The author tells us, that, tells us to consider him. So this will be up there. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. And so what I want to do to close our time is I just want to do that. I just want to consider him with you this morning. This is, this is actually the activity, what you would do when your courage is flagging, when you're out of breath, when you're faint-hearted in your Christian life together in this journey that we're walking over the next five years, but I hope the next 50 years together, okay? And he says, we're going to consider him. So I, I want to tell you, in Joshua 5, this is a place where I've been captivated with Jesus. In Joshua 5, God's people stood at the edge of the promised land, this place where there was bigger battles than they could muster the courage to fight. Okay? And here's what it says in Joshua 5. We're just going to read this together and consider him. Okay? When Joshua, who was the leader of God's people at that time, uh, 
he, when he was, uh, so he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. Which is the most interesting response. He's like, neither. Why? He says, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for this place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, Joshua had been commanded to be courageous and God just didn't just give him the command, he gave him the commander. He gave him the commander. So this is Jesus. I'm considering Jesus. That, the reason why he's receiving that worship and he tells him to take off his shoes is because that is God in front of him. All right? And we see the same commander show up in Revelation 19. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in, the right, in righteousness he judges and, and makes war. This is our king who went to the cross. It says, His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who are we singing to this morning? King Jesus. He was the commander when God's people were going into the promised land. He will be the commander when God's armies come back to this earth, and he is the commander today. Let's not look somewhere other than Jesus. Let's not consider something other for our source of courage. How will you find courage to face the adversity? This text says, consider Jesus. He was the commander of God's armies, and then he was the captain who went to the cross for you. And so what will it translate into for our church? I think it's going to be marked, this, this joyful worship that we want to see in our church, what is it going to translate into when we have this courage? I think it's going to translate into three things, honest relationships, sacrificial commitment, and bold evangelism. At least those three things. All those things require courage. It will take courage to be honest, okay? Because of the cross of Jesus, we can be honest about our failures. You can today be honest about your failures because of the cross of Jesus. They have been paid in full, okay? It will take courage to have sacrificial commitment, to sacrifice. Because the sacrifice of Jesus, we can let lesser dreams and lesser riches go, okay? And then it will take courage to be bold evangelists, but because Jesus is our captain, we only need to follow him. We don't have to go on our own. We follow him into the most intimidating conversations and circumstances. We know that he won't let us stand alone when we stand in his name. We know that he won't let us stand alone. You know that you won't go by yourself into those places. You can be honest. You can be sacrificial. You can be bold because you have courage, because you have a king who went to the cross. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. Now, I want to tell you, the last, just to, there's, a, I think, a story that captures this idea for me. And uh, it comes from the horse and his boy. It's, a, it's a, one of the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm a, I, like, love them. That's my favorite one. Some of you are like, that's the most random one. Uh, there's a story, the, the part of that story, this little boy named Shasta, he's run this really hard race. His life has been ultra hard. 
and it got really crazy when this horse started talking to him. Uh, it's a fantasy story. And, uh, and so uh, he went on this crazy journey, and along the way, he, he kept on having these, these moments, things that would turn his path in a certain direction, and a lot of them, in, he was encountering these lions, okay? And, uh, and they were terrifying him. And he gets to this point where he's extremely low. And so if you, if you know somebody like this or you are somebody like this today where you're like, man, I'm just really low. I don't have any courage. Or if your courage is resting somewhere on yourself in your own competence and giftedness, you need to let that go and you will find yourself empty of courage then. So if you're down there and you're running on E when it comes to having a strong heart of faith, um, that's where Shasta was at. He was all alone. He was by himself and his life was falling apart. And then out of this foggy mist, there's a voice that comes to him and he sees a shadow of something big and he's terrified. And he begins to talk with this thing in the shadow. And uh, the thing is asking him about all of his troubles. And, uh, and then he gets to this point and he's kind of feeling bad for himself. And he says, don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? And the, the voice responds and says, there was only one lion. What on earth do you mean, Shasta asks. I've just told you there were at least two lions the first night, and he gets cut off. There was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. You're like, what does that have to do with Jesus? in the twists and turns of your life, in the moments where your circumstances have changed and you need to muster up courage to, uh, to confine your life to what Jesus is asking it to be, uh, to confess the sin that's rotting inside of your soul, or just to continue enduring in the faith, in those moments, you're not alone. The one who's unfolding your story, it's just one lion. It's the lion of Judah, the true king, the commander of our faith. And so on the highest of mountaintops, church, whenever we see those together, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him there. And then when you're in the lowest of valleys, keep your eyes on him there. And then it, it, today, believe this in faith. His eyes are on you today. That's why you're here. You're not here on accident. You're not here just because you come to church. Or you're here today because God has you here today, and his eyes are on you today. Do you know that? He sees you. They are eyes that love you and they will do whatever it takes to help you finish what he has begun in you. That's how you have courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this quiet moment where my friends are in the shadow where the weight of life is just crushing them. They have no courage left in them. They are faint-hearted and weary. Would you speak to them from the shadows today, God, and say that there is only one lion. He never leaves and he never forsakes. He endured such hostility from sinners. He despised the shame and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now he's with us. Holy Spirit, would you affirm and uh, speak to the friends of mine that are feeling that way today. And for those, God, who know your presence, who are walking in that, Father, would you, would you set them afire with blo- just with worship in their souls for you? Would you take their worship yet higher 
deeper, more full, more joyful. God, in these next five years, they're just a blip on the radar of eternity. Would you help us, not just for these five years, but for whatever amount of days you give us on this planet to walk with courage, following our King, who has embodied courage for us. It's in his name we pray, amen. So we get a chance now uh, to come and, uh, and to receive communion.